Well, even though we're not talking about money anymore, doesn't mean that we're not talking about how we go about building an eternal portfolio. I think most of us realize there's more to life than money, right? We hope there is, at least, and at least most of us do, if not all of us. You know, we, there's this, we certainly learned over these last few weeks that, that what we give and what our attitudes are and how we manage our money has a significant impact on our spiritual health. But there's far more to it than that. I think all of us realize that there, is, there, there are, are, are several different things that we can do with our lives. And maybe to overgeneralize, there, there are three different things that we can do. We can either waste our lives, literally just do nothing, be a lifetime couch potato who doesn't really do anything. Or we can spend our lives in the sense of take everything that we are and just invest it in trying to get stuff and get somewhere where we think we want to go. Or we can invest our lives. Scripturally, God calls us to invest our lives. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, a very familiar parable to many of you. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 839. And many of you will recognize right away that this is the parable of the talents. Jesus tells this story in several different ways throughout the Gospels. I think it's quite interesting for us. It's something that we should note that that this is literally just on the verge of the end of Jesus's life here on earth. In the very beginning of chapter 26, Judas is going to sign up to make a deal to betray Jesus. So he's in the final stages of his walk with his disciples. He wants them to be ready to live the rest of their earthly lives. He wants them to be prepared and have the right mindset and understanding. And so in the midst of that, he teaches them from the parable of the talents. Beginning in the 14th verse of Matthew 25, just follow along in your Bibles. And I'm going to make a couple of comments as we go through and then very quickly try to point out some some truths for us to remember as we think about living this life to prepare for the next life, to build an eternal portfolio. Hear the word of God. For it's just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and he turned over his possessions to them. Very much the scenario. No cell phones, no mass communication, no instant communication. When you go on a trip, you've got to give somebody else control of your business. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went and put them to work. And he earned five more. In the same way, the man who had two earned two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Very much a picture that God's going to come back at one point in time and settle accounts with his children. The man who had received five talents approached, presenting five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful slave. Some of your translations would have the word servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I, I, I know you. You're a difficult man, 
Weeping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But his master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I hadn't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, as we bring to conclusion this short series that we've been in, thinking about what does it take for us to prepare for the next life by the way we live this life, there are many things that this, this parable would encourage us and instruct us to remember as apart from God's Word. And the very first thing I'd say to you that just leaps out from this is, is the whole idea of ownership. One of the things that this parable tries to teach us as we move forward in our lives is the sense of ownership. Everything belongs to God. You look at this text and it was the master who gave away his possessions to his servants his disciples, if you will, to engage and to use those as he was gone for his profit. But they were his possessions. Clearly the message of the Scripture is that our understanding has to be that our lives and all that include, is included in them belong to God. We came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave this world with nothing. When Luke and Leela were born a little over a year ago, right a year ago, somewhere around there, along, you know, it, they came in with nothing. After they live long and fruitful and joyous lives at some point in time, 70, 80, 90 years from now, 100 years from now, they're going to leave this world once God comes back without anything. But God gives us and allows us to use, and we need to understand that ownership. When you think about your own journey on this planet, when I think about my own journey on this planet, do I live it with a consciousness that it belongs to God? And am I using it for His purposes? Beyond this idea of ownership is the idea of allocation. The master, in his wisdom, takes what is his and allocates it to us. Each according to his ability, the scripture says. So he looks over his crew of servants and he said, this guy's up to the challenge for five talents. And this guy's up to the challenge for two talents. And this guy's up for the challenge of one talent. But the message for all of us is that there is no talentless person. All of us have been given something by God to use to make a difference in this world. Something to use to prepare for the next world that is to come. All of us have that. Whether it be our skill sets, you know, just what we're naturally good at, whether it be our spiritual gifts, it could be our relationships as parents, as siblings, as children. It could be, you know, the opportunities that we have, the experiences that we've accumulated. We all have opportunities. God has invested in us, and He has allocated to us. There is no such thing as somebody who has nothing to bring to the table in terms of preparing for the next life. There are no talentless people. There are different degrees of capability. The Scripture would seem to clearly indicate that. But all of us get something to make a difference with. So there's not a single person sitting here, whether you're 6 or 66, who can say, I have nothing to invest in getting ready for the future. 
I got nothing to give. You can't say that. God has allocated to all of us something to make a difference with. But in that allocation, there is accountability. There's accountability. God expects us to do something with what he's given us. I mean, what happens in this parable? The master calls his servants together. He says, listen, I'm going to be out of touch. So I've got to give what I have to you to f- keep moving forward with my purposes. Goes off on his trip. We don't know what the nature of the trip was, but he comes back. When he gets back, he says, I want to find out how this went. There's an audit. There's accountability. So he, he calls them in to find out what they've done with what's been attracted to them. After a long time, it says in verse 19, the master of the servants came and he, and he settled accounts with them. He had distributed out what he had. He had made an investment in them and he wanted to find out what they had done with it. I got to tell you, the scripture teaches the same thing about our journey. God distributes out to us our talents, whether our, there are spiritual gifts, our natural abilities, the opportunities that are part of our lives, our experiences, our relationships. Whatever. God distributes it out among all of us. And he's kind of gone away, even though he's with us as the Emmanuel, and the Spirit is working within us, but he's gone away. But it's going to become that t- point in time in history where God is going to stand be- call us to stand before him and say, what'd you do with what you had? I really think those questions are going to boil down to do these two things. This is what we need to be able to answer if we're going to be ready for that day. When God sums up human history and brings us in for the audit of our lives, he's going to ask two questions. Did you believe that Jesus Christ was my son and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? And he's also going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you, what I entrusted to you? What did you do with it? There's going to be that sense of accountability. God expects us to do something with what he gives us. With that, there's this interesting kind of terminology of he expects us to utilize that which he's given us. God expects you to try. What, what's really this, this whole dialogue with the, the, you know, the whole point of the, of the parable isn't the two guys who did really well. It's not the guy who took the five talents and turned it into ten talents. It's not the guy who took the two talents and turned it into four. But it's all about the guy who took the one talent and did nothing with it. And what, what's the critique that the master gives to the servant. He said, you know what? What really ticks me off is that you wouldn't even try. You wouldn't even try. You're a wicked, lazy slave because you wouldn't try. It wasn't that you tried and you failed. It wasn't that you tried and the market went down and you lost money. That's not the problem. You wouldn't even just give it to the bankers to do something with. All you did is go out and Dig a hole in the ground and bury it so nothing would happen to it. You, you wouldn't even try. And boy, God help us if we have to stand before him someday. And he says to us, you wicked, lazy slave, because you wouldn't even try. God expects us to do something. And, you know, I want to be even a little bit bolder than that. I, I think that God's expectation of us as we invest that which he's given to us, whether it's a skill or it's a, 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 you know, a, a spiritual gift or an experience or opportunities that are part of our lives, relationships or whatever. God expects us to take risks as we invest that for Him. 
It's not something that's just safe and secure, but it takes risk, you know? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, whatever's not a faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I think that relates to our salvation. I think it also relates to the way we live our lives. If we're not living our lives by faith, if we're not stretching ourselves beyond the comfort place, we're really not pleasing God. In the same way, in Romans 14, verse 23, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If we're not doing it because God's compelled us to and it's stretching us and move us out there, then we're really not utilizing God's gifts and trying the way that He expects us to. You know, it's interesting that probably one of the, the best thing that we could have written over our tombstones when we die is, at least they tried. At least they tried. You know, I, I kid myself all the time just to comfort myself. Say, you know, I don't really care what my yard looks like. I just want it to look like I'm trying, you know. And, and I think I really want to apply that to my entire life, you know. I, I don't, in some ways, I don't really care what it looks like. I just want it to be sure that I'm really trying. And I'm really stretching myself and, and moving out there and, and trying to grow and, and make a difference. And there's so many believers where the, where the fizz has just gone out of their soda because they, haven't tr- they just won't try. They just won't try. They don't do anything to try to make a kingdom difference. They're just, they just won't try. There's no sparkle left, no gleam left in their eyes because they're wasting their lives and they're spending it on themselves, but they're not investing it and allowing God to utilize it. They're not willing to try. Why is that? What's the motivation that often leads us not to invest in building an eternal portfolio? I think this motivation, really, that we see in this passage is fear. The excuse that the parable that gives for the man who would not invest. He said, he said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you hadn't sown and, and gathering where you haven't scattered. So in verse 25 it says, so I was afraid. One of the things that paralyzes many of us in utilizing what God's allocated us, to us is fear. And, and fear is probably one of the greatest weapons in the arsenal of the enemy against us is fear. Now, I think in, in our journey, and this isn't original with me, but it's a great way to classify the sense of fear that we have when we talk about investing these talents, these opportunities, gifts, resources, relationships, etc. That fear in some of our lives is really related to self-pity. I tried before and I got hurt, so I'm not going to try again. Self-pity. You know, one time I took on the leadership of a ministry or tried to start this or whatever, and I got criticism or whatever, and it hurt my feelings, and so I just quit, and I'm never doing anything again. Self-pity. And we use that. For some of us, it's the sense of, of self-doubt. I could never do that. You know, it, 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 I just don't have, I, I don't have the ability to do that. i got to tell you right now, if a ministry is worth doing... It's worth doing to the best of your ability, even if your ability means it's only going to get done poorly. Because every ministry is worth getting done at least poorly instead of not at all. You ought to find a way to do it. Self-doubt is not an excuse. It's a, it's a weapon that the, the, the enemy uses to, to scare us, to make us afraid so we won't try. The last is self-consciousness. We're just afraid of what we're going to look like. 
my friends are going to think I became a Jesus freak. You know, and you know that kind of, I remember when I was in high school, my, my home church was, you know, one of the strategies you used back then was try to enroll people in Bible study all the time. So one of the, we were doing an enrollment campaign across our entire town, Sudbury, Massachusetts. And so on a Sunday afternoon, we stayed, we had sub sandwiches or whatever, and we were all broken up to go through all the neighborhoods asking people if they would like to, to be enrolled in a, new, in, in a Bible study that we had going on at our, our, at our church. And I can remember, you know, and I, I was committed enough that I was going to go. But I remember as I walked through all these streets and I would walk up to, I'd be walking up to the front door, the prayer that would be running through my mind would be, Lord, don't let me know these people. You know, I mean, that's, that's what was standing in my mind over and over again. Don't let one of my friends from school open the door. Why? Because I was self-conscious. I didn't want to look like the Jesus freak in the high school hallways. I mean, we carry that attitude over all the time. What is it going to make me look like? to those around of us, and we take that fear. i got to tell you, there's ways in which we need to, to kind of... Uh, there's a subtle way where this kind of hits us. Because some of you, this is, this is the way the self-consciousness looks. I have high standards, and I'm really busy, so if I take on this responsibility and I can't do it at the level that I would love to see it done then it's going to be a bad reflection on me. And so I'm not even going to try. You know what I'm saying? You get this idea, well, so, you know, I, I take that leadership role, but it may, it, I may not be able to do it the way it really could be done, so I'm not even going to try at all because it'll look bad on me. There's this sense of self-consciousness that just gets in there. And I've got to tell you, there's, there's many things that we need to struggle with because fear has this this powerful impact on us to make excuses in not investing our lives. This guy had a whole speech ready. You know, he, he knew the master was coming back, and he said, he'd been thinking about it for, for who knows how long, saying, this is what I'm going to say when the master gets here. Master, I know you. I had you figured out. So there's no way that I was going to give you back less than you gave me. So, and I was just terrified, so I just stuck it in the ground and buried it. He had the speech all written out. Certainly he's going to take that. That's not the way it works. Fear can convince us not to try. A couple more things. This is the idea of application. If we don't apply what we have, we lose it. What you don't use, you lose. Just... I mean, this is a pretty common life principle, but just think about it. You know, you, you go back and say, you know, I used to be a great athlete. You know? And you think, well, what happened to you? Well, you didn't use it anymore, you know? I mean, I look at guys that are, that are almost my age, and they're still playing professional sports, and I'm thinking, what happened to me, you know? You don't use it, you lose it. Isn't that what the Scripture teaches? The guy, the guy who had one, didn't do anything with it, he lost it. The guys who did something with it, they got more. They got more. The rich got richer, and the poor got poorer. Those who were really talented got more and more, and those who weren't as talented lost the little talent that they had because they wouldn't try. You know, that may not seem very fair, but God can do with what what he wants with what he has. I think really the way to look at it is that God is doing everything he can to give you the opportunity to invest your life 
And all he's asking you to do is try. It's just try. I think one of the, the, well, let me go on to the last one, and I'll make my comment about that here. Lastly is, let me just make a comment here. You know, sometimes you've been around the church for a long time. You think, you know, boy, the first six months I was here or something, you know, I got asked a lot of times to engage in ministry. You know, and, and now nobody ever asks me. And that's often because we're afraid to try. We kept saying no, 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 no. And so they just move you off the radar. God takes away that opportunity as you move forward. Lastly is this idea of compensation. When we use our gifts, we're rewarded. I think that reward comes in several different ways. One is affirmation. Isn't it going to be great to stand before Jesus on the audit day of our lives and to hear himself say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to be incredible to have the one who gave his life for us stand before us, review the tapes of our lives and say, well done, good and in faithful servant. And I got to tell you, no matter where you are right now, you can get to that place. I mean, there's lo- I mean you may look back and say, I got a lot of failure in my life. I got to tell you, there's two ways to respond to failure. Judas's way or Peter's way. Judas, he, he failed. He, he betrayed Christ. And he, and, he, and, he, and he let it dominate him. And he gave up. And he ended his life. Peter went through the painful experience of looking Jesus in the eyes and saying, I'm sorry. And within 50 days of that experience, he's launching the church as he leads 3,000 people to Christ in a single message. We can all get to a place where we can experience that affirmation of well done, good and faithful servant. There's also a sense of promotion. To whoever it has, to him will more be given. If you do it well, you're going to get more, you're going to get greater responsibility. You know, let me, let me be just, you know, some of you say, you know, I, I got so much stuff on my plate, I can't say yes to any more. And, and there's a part of me who say, I don't feel sorry for you. I mean, that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing when, when the church comes knocking on your door saying, we need you to serve in this key leadership role because it means that you've already provided all the evidence that you've been responsible. And with that, God is promoting you in the level of influence, your position of service. I sit in our elder meetings and I look around the table at the five guys who are there. And they've got to be some of the five of the busiest guys in the world. And there are times I'm afraid to dump more on them, but then I'm also thinking, but that's why they're here. It's because they have been promoted, because they've been faithful and little. And now God has placed them in where they're faithful and much. This compensation also will come in the form of celebration. Enter into the joy of your master. When the audit comes, will you and I be ready? On a scale of 1 to 10 right now, if we had to rate ourselves in our readiness to have our lives audited, maybe in the area of our how we use our time or how we use our gifts or how we use our money or any other aspect of our lives, what kind of a grade would we give ourselves? Would we be up in the high 90s? Or do you think we'd be scraping by to get a D and hoping to get a little credit? You know, God wants us to build an eternal portfolio. He wants us to use this life to prepare for the next life. And it really boils down to two simple things. Be saved by faith live by faith. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your assurances from your word that there's absolutely more to life than here and now. Thank you for the assurances from your word that you've given us everything that we need to be ready for then and there by how we live here and now. God, where we're not living, where we're not being saved by faith, 
I pray for us today to reach out in faith and to claim to experience the forgiveness that comes through acknowledging Christ as our Savior and as our Lord and placing our faith in Him as our Savior and our Lord. And God, I would pray that all of us would take a step towards living by faith so that we might receive that well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And it's for that that we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.